All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, still in the book of Psalms. But man, uh, what, a, what a joy it is to have, uh, I was going to say, Pastor Wesley and Pastor Sean. Isn't that a great title? Wesley actually used to be a pastor, and he still has that heart in him. And then there's Sean, who once a teacher, always a teacher. Just a good week to get a different perspective on each chapter of uh, the book of Psalms. And so today is kind of one of those chapters that Honestly, it's kind of one of those like, oh, we got to go there today because this is a biggie. I mean, the reality is, is Psalm 118 and Psalm 110, which is what we're going to talk about today. I mean, this is the second most, these are the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament. There's a really good chance if it's one of the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament, it's probably in reference, probably in reference to the Messiah, probably in reference to a royal Psalm, and, and it is. There is so much. In fact, 25 times, you guys, it's referenced. 25 times it's referenced in the New Testament. In that alone, you can say 10 times it's referenced in the book of Hebrews. So to kind of keep giving you an idea, even in verse 4, it's referenced five times. There's a lot here. So I was kind of joking about this with the guys, and I was like, oh, man, pray for me seven verses on Psalm 110. And then I looked at it, and I was like, oh, pray for me. <laughs> Seven verses of a whole lot that's packed here. And probably, I don't want to say one of the more controversial psalms, but definitely one of the most discussed uh, and dialogued uh, psalm that we see here in the book of Psalms. So I just kind of want to give you a backdrop. And then I know even, you know, here we are in Psalm 110, but just in case you missed maybe one of the other lessons right before us, we are now officially in the fifth book of the psalms, Kevin. The fifth book goes from Psalm 107 all the way up to Psalm 150. So just to kind of give you some of this backdrop, but the reality is in Psalm 110, you will see it, if not the most prophetic picture in Scripture presenting Christ as, you ready for this, as king and as priest. That's what you're going to see. And so here we are in Psalms. We always keep saying the king of glory, right, Kevin? In Psalm 110, what you really should say is, the king and <laughs> priest of glory. And I know that's not the phrase that people use, but it is today because we always talk about the king of glory. In this context, Jesus is actually painted as a picture of king and priest. Here's where I want to start. It is written as, a, as the subtitle as a Davidic psalm. So uh, no, all joking aside, Kevin, when it says a Davidic psalm, who wrote it? David. David wrote this, okay? Now, here's what's cool. Jesus and Peter both verified David wrote this. You know, sometimes you're like, ah, who wrote this? Or, hey, maybe it was Asaph, maybe it was Solomon, maybe it was, you know, uh, the sons of Korah. No questions asked. In fact, Kevin, if you go to Matthew 22, verse 43 and 44, Jesus himself actually verified that David said this and David wrote this. In fact, this was part of Jesus' dialogue. He actually asked them as he's interacting with the religious, he says, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, obviously speaking to David, calls him 
Lord. Verse 44, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So if you go back to verse 43, what does it say? This is David who is actually saying verse 1. This is David who actually wrote this. So Jesus interacting with the religious says it is David. And then if you go to Acts 2, verse 33, you'll see that there's another person that even references this, which to me, if you've got Jesus and Peter quoting this, you guys, you probably should know, hey, what is going on here? Kevin, if you want to go to 30, it should be 33 through 34. Yeah, okay, so Peter is, if you go back to 33, P- Peter is having an interaction. We know this. This is Pentecost time, right? This is the time of, of the outpouring. And so Peter's having a dialogue, and he says, Therefore, since he's been exal- exalted to the right hand of God and has re- received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Peter continues on, he says, For it was not David who ascended into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand, verse 35, until I make your enemies a footstool. So what you'll see is that's even in reference later on in Psalm 110. So Jesus and Peter both say David wrote this. All right, there's your backdrop of where we're at. That's why this is so important. In verse 1 of Psalm 110, it says, this is the declaration. This is the declaration of the Lord. Ah, you, okay, sorry, I'm looking at mine. The, the Lord declared to my Lord, we have a different version for some reason. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. All right, Rich, if David is writing this and he says, <laughs> the Lord, uh, this is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. You want to just begin the dialogue on this one? <laughs> well, here's how I view this. I, I would say, God the Father said to Jesus, sit at my right hand. That's just in my brain how I would simplify it. When he says the Lord, who's the Lord in this one? The first Lord? Yeah, the first Lord. I would view that as God the Father. So God the Father declared to my Lord, that would be his son, son, Jesus. So then he's saying, okay, here's how I want to go with this. Okay, everybody's on the same page. We're going to do some scripture to put all this together. Kevin, if you would... Go to Revelation uh, 5, 5 for me first, okay? Now, we would say this is in reference to Jesus Christ, okay? That David is talking about Jesus. Now, Revelation 5, 5, it says, Then one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. (laughs) Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. So, Here's what's cool is this is in reference to the root of David. Okay, now now think about the root of David. Now, Kevin, if you would, would you go to uh, Revelation 22.16? Okay, Revelation 22.16. Now, when you hear the word root, Kevin, you think it's actually before David, right? You think that that the root is then going to lead to David. Would you guys agree? Mm -hmm. The root's the beginning. Now, in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, look what this. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root, and then look what it says, and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Revelation twenty-two sixteen actually addresses Psalm 110, uh, Psalm 110, 1. It actually addresses the fact that, oh, what do you know? Because I think this is what's so cool, is how can, how can David's Lord be the father, but yet also David's Lord be his son? That's the real issue that we have here, right? Is that he says, this is, uh, this is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. How can it be my Lord, but yet be my Lord? Well, this would answer it. 
because he was at the beginning and he's also an offspring, an offshoot of David. So that's where we're kind of running with this. And I think it's a really cool picture here. I mean, think about this way. Christ himself, you guys, he declared his deity within the Gospels himself. And so David is saying this. Now, Christ is saying the same thing. So if you go to Matthew 22, Kevin, go back to Matthew 22, verse 44. He says it. He actually says this. This is me. Matthew 22. uh, Well, I mean, in 43 and 44, he's referencing this, but he's referencing this. Right. Because he's, he's talking about himself. Now, some would say, well, that's a stretch. So go to Mark 12, verse 36. David himself says by the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus is referencing, this is me. This is what he's talking about here. And he's declaring his deity within the Gospels, as MacArthur says, by arguing only God could have been Lord to King David. I mean, that's as simple as it's going to get. Only God could have been Lord to King David. All right, so now here's the crazy thing about this verse in Psalm 110.1. This is only the first part of the verse. Like, that's it. Like, this is a whole discussion in itself. Like, you have to come to terms with, is he talking about the Father and the Son? Yes, (laughs) that's what he's talking about. But you have to come to terms with that. And then once you have that, then you begin to understand, sit at my right hand. So if my father says to the Son, sit at my right hand, now what is he even talking about? Well, again, Rich, you said it well, but I'm going to reiterate what John MacArthur says. God the Father invited God the Son in his ascension. So in Acts 1, when Jesus, okay, went to be with the Father, it says he sat at the place of an honor in the heavenly throne room at the right hand of the Father. You'll go to Hebrews 10, Kevin, 10 through 12. So... (laughs) Uh, here it is in Hebrews 10, 10 through 12. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11. Now, every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus, in this moment, some people, it's a, it's a very fair question. Where is Jesus today? Kevin, according to this verse, where is he? Sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting at the right hand of God. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. We're still in one verse, okay? The Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand. According to Hebrews, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, you're going to sit here in verse 1 until what? I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, okay. Footstools, according to MacArthur, was an ancient Near Eastern picture of an absolute victory portraying the idea that one's enemy was now underfoot. Give you a couple illustrations and then I'll just say in one simple sentence what I think this means. Can you go to Psalm 8, 6 and 7? Father says to the son, sit at my right hand until the time is right. Okay, you have made him, Psalm 8, 6 says, you made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, verse 7. All all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild. There's this picture of authority and victory. Okay, that's what this image is. Just one more. Psalm 47, verse 3, please. Psalm 47, verse 3. It says, He subdues people, peoples under us and nations under our feet. So what's this image of? This 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 is truly a picture of the second coming. 
This is not, Kevin, in reference to the first coming. This is in reference. So David is writing about in Psalm 110, 1, first verse, he's writing about the return of Christ. He's writing about the second coming. King David, a thousand years ago, is writing about Jesus coming back. And oh, by the way, he's going to come clean house. In Revelation, we don't have to go there, 19, 11 through 21, you're going to begin to see that picture. And he's coming as, and you can go there for this, Kevin, Hebrews 10, 13. He's coming back as a conquering king. Like this is the role of the Messiah that you're going to see. Look at this. He is now waiting until his enemies, Hebrews 10, 13. He's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. It's kind of like, oh, my footstool's not big enough yet. Right? It's almost like they're building his footstool. It's almost like there needs to be more enemies before he can come back. It's all about the timing. (laughs) Kevin Rich, you guys want to add anything to this? It says, though, I have a footnote in mind that makes a reference to 1 Corinthians 15, 24, uh, and I guess really 26. This is the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Yeah. I mean, it says, For he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him... It's evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And it's just, for me, it's a picture of a hierarchy of Christ's submission to God the Father, but then God the Father giving the Son everything that he has in all power and all knowing. And the last enemy to be defeated would be death, which would be the final death once and for all, no more. Okay, great transition. Let's run with this for a second. So I, I would totally agree. Father blessing the son with something in order for what he needs to do. So if you go to verse two, there's really three promises that the father says he's going to do. One is the Lord will extend your mighty scepter. In other words, he's going to extend your kingdom. Okay, this is what he's referencing. He's going to extend your kingdom from Zion. Now we've talked about Zion Many times, Zion is actually, we're talking about God is planning on installing his ultimate earthly king in Jerusalem. Like, this is the picture. He's coming back. Footstool's being built. Death is going to be gone, and he's going to come back actually into the kingdom of God is going to be extended. We're talking about an earthly Zion. We're not talking about the heavenly Zion. Okay, how do we know? Because there's no enemies in heaven. Okay, We also know the activities that we're going to get into in verses 5 through 7, talking about judging of the nations, heaping up the courses, crushing leaders. That's not going to be in the heavens. So we know that this is going to take place here in the earthly city. We know this is going to take place in the earthly Zion. So one is, is as the king and priest of glory comes, that's kind of a cool little phrase we can say just for this one, he's going to extend the kingdom of God. And Rich, as you were saying very well, It's really the Father allowing the Son to do this work. But it's kind of like, Jesus, you sit here at the right hand. Okay, now it's time. Go. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to extend the kingdom. I'm going to extend your kingdom. What else does he promise? Well, the other thing he promises is this. Extend your kingdom. The Lord will extend your kingdom. Right before it, we've already talked about this. This is kind of why I didn't say it. I'm sorry. Uh, one of the other ones he just says is, I will, I will promise you defeat of enemies I will, until I make your enemies your footstool. So I will defeat, that's the first one. I will defeat your enemies. 
that would make sense in order for him to extend your kingdom, right? Does that make sense? And then here's the crazy one. So it says, rule over your surrounding enemies. And then in verse three, it says this, your people will volunteer. Nobody's getting paid. Your people will volunteer on your day of battle. Okay, you realize that God is going to bless the king and priest of glory. He's going to bless Jesus. He's going to bless the second coming of the Messiah with a great army. And Kevin, I, I think you'll be a part of this, Kevin. I think you're actually going to be helping me in charge of the volunteer army. You're really good at volunteers. Like all of these, uh, these army guys, they're volunteers. He says, your people will volunteer on your day of battle. This helped me understand what, what MacArthur says. They're, they're redeemed inhabitants of earth and they will willingly serve the king of kings. Nobody's going to force these guys to do this. They're willing to jump in. And here's the cool part. Look what they're wearing in holy splendor. Like these guys are, uh, if you, can you go to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something. Can you go to Revelation 19, 14? If we're talking about the battle, this great army that God is going to bless them with, it just says this, the armies that were in heaven followed him on. So think about this. Here they come, right? Here they come, followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. They're wearing like the priest guard. They're praying that the garments in holy splendor. What an awesome picture. Oh, by the way, they're going to be volunteers <laughs> on your day of battle. So some of you would say, well, I worship in church because it's preparing me for heaven. You can say, well, I'm going to start volunteering because it's going to prepare me for the day of battle. It's kind of an interesting way to look at it. And in that process, you're wearing pure linen. And it says, from the womb of the dawn, the, the dew of your youth belongs to you. I was like, whoa. From the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. So obviously he's still describing the king here, right? He's still describing your youth. He's talking about the king is going to come with this image of this vigor of youth, with this energy, this fire, this power, like nothing's going to stop this person. And what's interesting, it says, it will be on the day of power. Okay, this is where you're kind of like, okay, Lord, th this seems like to be a lot. <laughs> this seems like it's going to be unfolding a lot. And I'm going to come to this. This day of battle, when we really get into verse 5. So I just want to point that out, the day of battle. We're going to be talking about that a little bit more here in verse 5. Uh, and so here's your image here. Let me just say this. Your first image is Christ the King, right? He's coming clearly as a king in verses 1 through 3. And the next thing you know, what you're going to see really in the rest of the psalm, there's only four more verses, is Christ the Priest, in verses 4 through 7. Lord had sworn an oath and will not take it back. I love that. He made an oath. No, it's done. It's that Abrahamic covenant mentality. It's that Davidic covenant. It gets done. I'm going to make an oath, he says, and I'm not taking it back. Forever, you, the king that I've been talking about, you're a priest like Melchizedek. Well, up until this time, you guys, nowhere in history of, of Israel, aside from Melchizedek, was there a king also serving as a priest. Like this is a completely foreign concept. And yet this is Christ. They're painting this picture of, of a branch, of a priest, just like Melchizedek. Melchizedek, just as a backdrop, okay, it means king of righteousness. Okay, king of righteousness. King of Melchizedek, uh, 
he actually served as a human priest, king of Salem. Okay, in Genesis 14, 17 through 20. And what it does is really Melchizedek sets a picture. It's a foreshadow. I think we would all agree. He serves as a foreshadow of the coming king. So here you have David referencing Genesis 14, right? He's referencing Melchizedek. And now Christ is a fulfillment of David and Melchizedek. What an awesome picture to me of what we are, what we're talking about. Kevin, just to state the super obvious, I think of I think of a king. I think of a guy who's coming on a horse, and he's going to fight a battle. When you think of priests, what do you think of? I think of someone who's interceding for on your behalf. Because what you're going to see in the rest of the psalm, you're not going to really see a description of the priest and all of his priestly processes. You, you won't see that in five, six, and seven. You just won't see that description. So I want to just make sure we're slowing down in regards to this priest mentality of like really what a priest does. A priest serves as what you're saying. It's a mediator, right? A priest serves as a mediator to take the sacrifice uh, between the sacrifice and, and, and God. And now all of a sudden Jesus is the mediator. So now he's a warrior and a mediator. He's a fighter and he's the one who says, I'm the sacrifice. In the Old Testament world, that was how they understood they could come before God. That's right. Absolutely right, Kevin. And so you just have this picture of Christ being the ultimate final priest. No more. And I think this is the, because was the only one that served as a king as well. So that's why. He's it? Because it's it? Yeah, I believe so. If you go to verse five. It was unusual. I mean, that's it. It's the only one besides, uh, that we know of in Scripture besides Melchizedek. In verse 5, it says this, The Lord is at your right hand. Okay? So now it's, it's flipped. Okay? Now God is at the right hand. This is what he's referencing. It's literally flipped. Now God is at the right hand. Now God is, will crush kings on the day of his anger. The roles have literally been reversed. The Father now stands at, at the right hand of the Son. It's super bizarre, but what they're trying to paint a picture of is the father is saying, I will take care of all your needs. I'll give you everything that you need to the son. And so now here we are talking very tangibly about the day of his anger. Remember I said they'll volunteer on the day of your battle. Well, in this process, there will be this day of this day of anger. We're talking about the day of the Lord. We're talking about the day of his wrath, which here it is. It finds and this helps me understand what MacArthur says. It finds its expression, the day of the Lord, okay, at the end of, hang in here, Daniel's 70th week, okay? In other words, in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Let's just go there for a second if we can, Kevin. 70 weeks have decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to wipe away iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. It actually continues on. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times, after those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming Prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood and until the end, there will be war. Verse uh, 26, desolations are decreed. 
at the end of this, what we're referencing here, the end of Daniel's 70th week, okay, this is, speaks of what we're talking about. God's wrath is going to be poured out, literally. The wrath of God will come and be poured out for a, a, a people that is unrepentant. A, a, a group, a world, literally, that's going to be unrepentant in order for what? To set up Christ's a thousand year reign. The day of the Lord is coming. Literally, the wrath is coming to prepare a way. That's why it switches when you see in Psalm 110. The Father now is the one that's going to be doing this. He is setting it up. He's going to crush kings on the day of his anger. Why? To pave the way for the, for, uh, the millennial. Oh, <laughs> it's a lot. And yet it's real. And it's really going to happen, you guys. The minor prophet Joel talks about this. John talks about this in Revelation. It's kind of like, at what point do we want to start saying, wow, what, what does it look like? Well, in verse 6, just so you know, we're all on the same page. It says, on the day of the wrath as it's coming, he will judge the nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. I literally have 15 references right here, just about verse 6, about what this looks like. In Psalms, and Isaiah, in Daniel, and Joel, uh, in Micah, and Matthew, in Revelation. Like, this is a, an unbelievable picture of the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the Father doing the work so that the Son can come in and reign in the thousand years. And yet it all started in verse 1 when David was describing the Father and the Son. You sit here, please, until I get everything ready. As I get everything ready, just so you know, here's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to make sure your enemies are defeated. I'm going to make sure your kingdom of God is extended. And oh, by the way, I'm actually going to give you a whole crazy load of volunteers. And they're going to be dressed in holy splendor. And in this process, I want everybody to understand that he's coming as a king and he's coming as a mediator, as a priest. But God says, don't worry, I've got the judging the nations. I've got, I'm going to take care of the corpses. I'm going to crush all of these leaders that really think they have something. Now nah, I got it. And because of this work, because of what God the Father is doing, and look in verse 7, it says, He will drink from the brook by the road, therefore He will lift up His head. Whew. From any study that people have done, nowhere can they find a reference that, okay, let's say David is writing about a human person that he actually knows. Nobody finds any historical document about who this could be. So the only thing we can conclude is that David is truly functioning as a prophet of God. And we've seen this in Scripture in Acts 2, Kevin, if you want to go back there, Acts 2.30. They describe David, as weird as it sounds, as a king, but man, it says in Acts 2.30, since he was a prophet. David is a prophet and he's releasing a prophetic word. And he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to set one of his descendants on his throne. He knew that, yes, his, his, his son, his offspring, which is also his root, was going to take uh, his throne, which we know comes from 2 Samuel. And you're like, whoa, it all fits together. And oh, by the way, you're going to see a king who is in some unique way, according to when you go back to verse 7, He's refreshed because his image of he will lift up his head. It's an image of Christ truly finding his strength in victory. It's done. It's done. And Psalm 110, it's just kind of like, man, Lord, I, I see what David is writing, but 
How on earth did he know all this? The Holy Spirit, Peter says, inspired him. You remember that in Acts 2? Jesus isn't talking about, Peter didn't even talk about this. Uh, David was inspired. And that's how we knew he wrote this. David was inspired to write about the king and the priest of glory. God already has it taken care of. Going to defeat the enemies, extend your kingdom, and a great army is coming. And as he comes, we know that God is going to bring forth the day of the Lord. He's He's going to bring forth his anger so that he can pave the way for the king and the priest named Jesus. All right, guys. um, Thanks for listening to Lesson 82, Psalm 110. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.